That recliner almost chopped my mate's finger off. This is what our killer looks like. Tired. Everyone has been affected in one way or another by this terrible tomato onslaught. There was a, a standing lamp in this room. What happened to it? Attack of the killer objects! A purchase on a horizon? Just looking, thank you. The hesitation in your voice soon to be an echo in the recesses of the spheres of retail. The dress is your image onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. Be bold. Your date will compliment you. I would like you to announce the numbers to your telephone. 01632 960 Seven, and seven, eight, and eight, six, and six, and stop. As promised. Thank you. You look different. Oh, my God, what's that? That looks nasty. Maybe just the washing powder. Oh, I hope it isn't catchy. How's it going, Sheila? Everything's fine. What happened to your hand? Washing machine went bananas. You who wear me will know me. What's that supposed to mean? It's just a cheap bit of mystery. I think something's wrong with that dress. Don't tell me you're scared of a dress. The dog ripped it to pieces. Spring spanking you almost. Such a pretty dress. <laughs> Anything nice in the sales? Just a dress. Hi, and welcome to Attack of the Killer Objects. I'm your host, Anastasia, as per usual, or actually always, because this is 100% my podcast. Look, I'm a little frazzled. I was looking fucking everywhere for my headphones just now, and I feel like they dropped out of the clear blue sky into someone else's backyard. I don't know. I'm on my backup ones, and I'm just throwing a little. It's kind but, of appropriate, right? For this podcast, it's like your headphones. Maybe they just escaped and they scurried away, and who knows what they're up to right now? Watch out, everybody. <laughs> Coming to a theater near you. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe they're off murdering someone right now. Hmm. Uh, but yes, so today we are talking about In Fabric, and I am joined by Keith McNally again! Howdy. Yeah, I remember with this movie when uh, when we did the lift. I remember you sent me like four movies you were planning on doing and asked which one I wanted to do. And I picked the lift because I remembered seeing the trailer for that, you know, ages ago. But also mm -hmm. because it had this really cool visual style. 
And my second choice was definitely this movie because it similarly just looks cool from the trailer. It's just like, well, if nothing else, this movie's going to look really cool. And it does look really cool. Yeah, it's very visually stunning, and there's a lot of really interesting visuals, for sure. But you feel a little bit like you're being hypnotized watching this. Yeah, oh, and I, actually, I really love, I guess we'll get into it as we go, but the uh, just the sound in general, all the sound design in the movie, but the soundtrack, too, like, that's, I think, my favorite part. Like, I could see just converting this whole movie to MP3 and just listening to it while I walk around. I feel like that would be really cool. Absolutely. I think having the score to this, like, on vinyl would be pretty dope. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so let's get into In Fabric from 2018. This is, if we haven't, like, really fully painted that yet, a very bizarre film. And that's saying something in the context of a show like this that (laughs) wholly only talks about killer objects. Honestly, I don't think the killer of this film is the weirdest part of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. For once, that's not the wildest thing. (laughs) Uh, So, let's see. This was directed by Peter Strickland, who, um, he is great with sound design, by the way. Um, uh, There's another film that he did that you... I can't even begin to describe it, but you definitely should go check it out. But it's called uh, Barbarian Sound Studio. And it it stars Toby Jones. And it's just wild. But it has some of the most stunning sound design I've seen in a while. Which Oppenheimer, by the way, if you haven't seen it yet, great sound design. But don't plan to go see it because by the time you're listening to this, it will probably be out of your theater, sadly. (laughs) Sad times we live in. But yeah, beat gorgeous sound design. Anyway. <laughs> I was thinking too, just with uh, directors like this that are so super idiosyncratic, it always impresses me because obviously I've never come anywhere close to making a movie. But when I daydream about it, maybe I'm just a pessimist, but my daydreams often involve studios telling me to stop being weird. You know, like I just imagine people with the money would be like, what are you doing? Stop being weird. But then you find these movies that are like, man, nobody, clearly nobody told this guy, for example, to stop being weird, you know? Well, and I mean, I will say that, you know, this was produced by A24 Studios, which I would, they kind of specialize in weird, right? I don't know if I've ever seen just a super straightforward, nor, quote unquote, normal uh, film that A24 has put out. Like, they put out Lamb, that movie... Um, about the like baby lamb that's raised like a human and oh, has yeah i heard about that yeah they put out that movie they put out hereditary and midsummer they put out Bo is afraid they don't put out <laughs> they don't put out on the beaten path movies like they're there's some out there ones for sure yeah i guess I maybe, like too, maybe my mindset too is probably a little behind the times because we're obviously in this weird time now where there's so many movies it's like out of control so i mean of course they're going to be you know, there, I guess there always have been. Well, I just watched. Oh man, what's that movie from the seventies? Uh, the, the sadomasochism one. Maybe it was just called Sado. And it's just like, oh yeah. I mean, I guess they've been. I guess movies like this have been coming out. Not that this movie's like that, but <laughs> no, not at all. But yeah, I guess really, maybe maybe it's my mindset that's wrong. It's like just because I was watching E.T. and Back to the Future, there was a lot more than that going on. Oh yeah, my father loves 
weird movies for sure. Um, I think that's probably where I get it from, but <laughs> but yeah, uh, I remember seeing like, and I've probably talked about this before, but I remember being really young and watch and him watching something. I don't remember if it was like on the computer. Probably not. It was probably on like an old VHS tape or something. But anyway, so it was one of the short first short films that um, Sam Raimi did. Oh, nice. And it was like, so it's Sam Raimi himself standing in a kitchen. And then like the hamburger helper thing like pops up and starts talking to him. And his immediate reaction is to freak the fuck out and to cut it up into a million pieces. And there's another version similar that has the Pillsbury Doughboy where he, like, reacts similarly and, you know, horrifically murders these beloved um, commercial icons. <laughs> I had a guy, when I was in high school, I used to work in a comic shop, and this one guy would come in, this was like the mid-late 90s, so it was still VHS tapes, just before DVD, and he would always lend me these, like, third-generation tapes of, like, Tetsuo the Iron Man and stuff that's all, like, oh. stop-motion and... A man yeah. turning into a machine and but then yep. and I was like wow this is cool except then he'd come in the next week and want to talk to me about it and hopefully I've gotten better at that because at the time I was like I literally don't know what to say man like lend me more but I I don't know what to tell you about this movie I think you've gotten better I mean you've been you've you've covered quite a few interesting films with me at this point I was gonna say too I think maybe why Sado came to mind for me I guess is because in fabric, you know, right away, I guess the the style of it is very clearly like a uh, an homage to something that I knew I wasn't that familiar with. I, I guess I kind of gave me like Suspiria vibes, but even that, I don't know that I've ever seen that whole movie. And so, so I did look that up real quick, and I guess it's this the Italian giallo scene. Am I saying that right? Giallo, but yes, pretty much and the it, same giallo. Yeah, so it's one of these things that uh, I'll just I'll just say up front that. I, I'm not familiar with these types of movies except in total passing, but it's still cool. I don't know. There's just something that's neat about a, a very distinct homage to a specific kind of movie where they can kind of just distill whatever, however many decades worth of of movies into this one experience. And it just like, even if you don't really know the source material, it, it feels pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely, as someone who's watched a hell of a lot of giallos um even though i feel that they can be confusing at times but so is this movie at times <laughs> i've seen it like five times now though so i know it pretty well i've watched a lot of argento and bava and other uh giallo directors and here's here's what seems to be like universal things about them they're always highly stylized at least you know like for their era because uh, not a lot of Jalas are really made anymore. Although Dario Argento just made a new one this yeah, year. Yeah, I did. Uh, I looked through the wiki list real quick, just in case I'd seen any. And I was like, Orgasmo. Oh, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they, they're always highly stylized. They're always like a mystery. You don't know who the killer is usually. Um, so the mystery is just kind of, you know, like a murder mystery, basically. There's almost always nudity. It's very rare to not have nudity. There's, It's probably badly dubbed. <laughs> and the killer probably wears black or white gloves. These are signatures of the giallo genre. Giallo. 
I feel like uh, I should uh, I should be looking into Italian cinema more in general. I mean, between this and spaghetti westerns and how all the zombie movies moved over to Italy at some point in like the 80s. And it's just like, man, they got up to a lot of weird stuff in Italy. They did. Yo, this is so funny. I was literally so I went to a wedding last week for my basically brother-in-law. But anyway, so my basically brother-in-law's uh, just got married and uh, Mark and I were in his wedding and the photographer happens to be their cousin and he went to film school and everybody had been telling both of us you know for years now that we needed to meet because we would have just like a nerd fest uh talk about film <laughs> and we did when i first met him like the second he, he sat down and started talking to me we started talking about Jollos and spaghetti westerns. So I've like literally just had this conversation. Yeah, it's neat too. I mean, I guess because you'd probably, I mean, again, I, I don't know a lot of the source stuff, but I would guess this is probably more along the lines of an homage, but also a parody because a lot of really weird, silly stuff happens in this movie. But what's kind of uh, cool is like I find sometimes that the jokier side of things can really, in a weird way, it can like get to the uh, the core of like what this genre is. Like, yeah. I always think of uh, that show, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, that was just yes. like, a, yeah, like a, a joke version of those like weird 80s, The Hitcher and stuff, like 80s horror TV shows. But by making fun of them, it's like the perfect version of them. And I, I get a feeling this movie's probably in that sort of vibe, too. Yeah, totally. And what's funny about it is even though um, there's some things that are obviously parody and joking and, you know, comedy, it's played so straight-faced. Yeah. I love I love how, like, deadpan the absurd can be. It's, it's a very interesting way to go about it, and I really like the choices that they make. Uh, but, yeah, let's, um, let's dig into it, because I feel like we veered off a little bit. <laughs> You gotta just follow my brain, everybody. We'll get we'll get there eventually. <laughs> okay, so so Sheila is our main character, played by the beautiful Marianne Jean Baptiste, and she say she's recently divorced and just lonely, like clearly lonely. She's got this really intrusive job as a bank teller, and what I mean by that is her bosses ask things that are way too personal, and everybody acts like the way that they're acting is kind of normal right yeah i thought it was kind of neat in specific because her bosses do seem so overbearing with all the weird stuff they're saying and the strange requests but then she kind of volleys it back like once they get to while they're kind of interviewing her and prodding her about stuff but at some point they start talking about her dreams and she just like full-on like i'm going to tell you all the weird dreams that i had so that that does it balances it a little. It's like, yeah, these people are being ridiculous, these bosses, but we're just in a world where everybody is, talks to each other in a weird way. Oh, yeah, especially the department store. Mm. Especially the department store, but we'll get in that to, into that in a bit. Um, but anyway, so she's a bank teller, and her bosses are really intrusive, like we were just describing, and she lives with her teenage son. I think he's actually like college age, so he might be like 19, 20, somewhere around there. And he's dating the uh, beautiful Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones, if you didn't notice that that's who that was. Yeah, actually, I'm like the only person in the world who I saw like three episodes of Game of Thrones and I was like, I'll catch up to it. And I just never did. <laughs> so. Wow, Keith. 
Yeah, That's I know. Impressive. <laughs> Same thing with like Sandman. People are like, oh, that person's from Game of Thrones. And Ellie from The Last of Us, oh, she's from Game of Thrones. And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. Everyone's from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was this massive show for so many years. And, you know, the island, <laughs> it's not a big country. <laughs> but yeah, because I because I watch a lot of British TV and there's just so many like oh I know that actor that's he's from such and such and blah 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 and David Tennant's been in everything. Even in this movie, one of the bosses, uh, Julian Barrett, he uh, he was in uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. He was like a priest, <laughs> so it's a small world. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Vince, his girlfriend, who I uh, was just telling you about, she's like very sexual <laughs> and she is not subtle and you can see that it really like is kind of off-putting to Sheila but prob- but possibly just because she's lonely and then Vince her son also informs her that her ex-husband already has a new woman and uh it's clear that vince like likes her he wants to go hang out and eat with them instead of with her so she joins a dating service that's by phone it's not even a video dating service it's by phone so is this are they does this like take place in the 70s did you get that vibe i've always kind of wondered that in general i never really did online dating stuff but but it does seem like there's a certain amount of obfuscation that I think people are looking for, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. at least uh, back when I lived in Toronto and all my friends were, you know, on whatever Tinder and stuff, it would always just be pictures, even though we had video tech. And it's like, uh, maybe people, they just don't want to be that honest up front. I don't know. I don't think most people want to be that honest up front. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes everyone feel very naked. <laughs> So, but, but yes. I will say, uh, yeah. I do agree, though, that this movie does have uh, an ambiguous era, you know, like it's certainly not nailed down when this is happening, for sure. No, but everything feels very retro. It doesn't, it feels, it doesn't feel modern, but I don't remember looking at the cars. I should have looked at the cars. That would have been, that would have given me something. Yeah, I was trying to think of like telephones. What were they using for phones? I don't remember. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Well, I saw her pick, you know, she, you, you see her throughout the movie pick up the phone, and it's like an old, like, rotary phone. So that's what she has. Basically, like, it's it's just like the video, the old video dating from the 80s, uh, in the sense that, you know, you take a, you, you record this little, like, message about yourself, and people can call into this line and hear <laughs> you give this spiel about yourself or whatever. And um, then if they want to hook up and you guys are both a match, I guess you're given the other person's number or something. Or they are given your number and your... I don't know. But anyway, I don't, I'm not, they're not specific on how it works. And I'm not quite sure. But that's how I think it works. But anyway, she goes on this date. Or she, you know, she signs up for this. And you know, eventually we'll start going on these dates. But yeah, this kind of gets the ball rolling. It's the causality of her wanting to go and date. Because she's lonely. Um, So she goes to this bizarre department store called Dentley and Soapers. How would you describe this department store? I guess it's one of those things that, I mean, it's so far outside of any of my experience. Because I just always buy... <laughs> The cheapest. Just give me a t-shirt. Give me jeans. Like, to me, like, uh, what's that store? Like, Winners or whatever that's supposed to be cheap? I'm like, I don't know. It's still like $40 for a sweater. What the heck is this? (laughs) I'm not 
familiar. Maybe that's a Canadian one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've got so many Canadian friends, and they'll say something, and I'm like, I think that's got to be Canadian, because I don't know who that is. <laughs> but this does remind me of, I don't even remember what the place was called, but there was a place that opened in Vancouver that was like, just like, yeah, the super duper enormous, amazing department store with the multiple levels and chandeliers and crap. And, and I only went in one time just to imagine what it would be like during a zombie apocalypse. But it, it, so this place, it's more like that. It really feels feels fancy it feels fancy but it also was just like twilight zone because you walk in and except barring like two men that work there but the associates on the floor are all like middle-aged women with these bizarre bouffant black wigs uh not all of them but some of them have that and then they're all in these what look like Victorian era funeral dresses and everything is kind of like 70s technicolor it's very bizarre so she goes inside and is looking around and she's immediately intercepted by one of the sales associates who has one of these tall black bouffant wigs and like bright red lipstick and a vaguely East European accent and uh She kind of veers her and talks her into buying a dress, a very particular dress. She buys this, like, blood-red, flowing, beautiful, hypnotizing almost dress. So she wears it out on a date. And she goes on a date with this man whose name is, I shoot you not, Adonis. And yeah, this guy's the worst right from the start. Like, his little, uh... His little message in the system was just like, oh, I've got uh, several dates this week, but maybe I'll come squeeze you in. <laughs> She's like, oh, no, this guy's going to be the worst. And he is. And he is. Absolutely. He is rude. And when she asks, like, normal questions, he's, like, astonished she's even speaking. It's like, he's just completely off-putting and very, like, old school. And she's definitely not into it. You know, so she gets home after the bad date, you know, feeling defeated and takes her dress off. And uh, she's got this weird ass rash on like right above her boob. And we'll see that again. Just you wait. (laughs) It's like marking her, branding her, cursing her. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) So back at the department store. We see the clerks engaging in some extremely bizarre behavior. Uh, One of them, like, rolls up a piece of the catalog, like a tampon, and shoves it inside herself. Very bizarre. What's going on there? Not sure. Really not sure. Is she controlling the dress? Sometimes it kind of seems like it is. We'll find out later. I'm not real sure. It, this movie doesn't really answer any of the questions <laughs> that it leads you down. But, uh, you know, we're just along for the weird ride, man. Right. Yeah. So, uh, back at Sheila's, she tries to wash this dress, and uh, the machine goes fucking nuts. It, like, malfunctions and starts violently shaking, all because of the dress. Yeah, I thought that scene, that scene was cool because, you know, this has been quite uh, low key so far, this movie, you know, it's it's weird, but like weird in tone and just 
pretty chill though that you know chill and cool so this is about yeah. half an hour in or so and it's yeah. just so like this washing machine is going just nuts it's ridiculous and then she uh cuts her hand while she's trying to stop it and like a deep cut just like blood everywhere and it's just really like, deep. <laughs> like all of a sudden yeah everything just went crazy and it's like wow this is like kind of cool this made me think like i wonder if this is uh you know a part of of the jello style that i'm just not uh, aware of like is this something they do where they just suddenly smack you in the face with like everything getting nuts all of a sudden oh uh, yeah that's 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 accurate that's pretty accurate yeah they take some hard turns where it's like wait what <laughs> that definitely happens a lot and there's usually a fair amount of blood and when there is it's usually like that like candy coated apple red 70s blood that's just yeah. fantastically unrealistic but fun stylistically so sheila returns back to the shop and um while she's there she discovers that the dress that she bought was actually the model who first wore it for the catalog because they like make you look at the catalog even though the actual clothes are right around you it doesn't make any sense to me but they're very insistent that you look at the catalog. And by the way, the clerks in this place talk in, like, riddle poetry. Is that an yeah. accurate description? And there's also, yeah, that was one of those things in the sound mix that I think I, I'm just realizing now, I think only happened while they were in the department store. But you just hear, like, whispers all the time that aren't really distinct, but they're just going on. And it just makes it eerie and cool. Yeah, and they say things like... Imagine if you could conceive the perception of wearing this dress. <laughs> like, the most roundabout way to talk about a dress. It's very odd. But anyway, she discovers that the model was murdered who wore the dress the first time. And they don't really go into detail about how she's murdered. But seems like the body count is one so far <laughs> that we know of. So, Sheila has another date lined up and she does not wear the dress this time wisely but she goes out with this guy named zach and they have a good time they're getting along it's everything's good back at her house her son and his girlfriend gwendolyn Cresty, who's also called gwen in this so anyway um we get this weird extended scene of like a close-up of Gwendolyn Christie's face as she's climaxing. That's how they chose to do the sex scene here. A lot of arty sex in this. Well, not a lot of arty sex, but the sex is usually arty, except for one point later on that was very not artfully done. Just It was just sad. That's one thing I like, too, that I'm not sure where to work it in, because even though I just watched this last night, I'm still, I'm really relying on you to walk me through it again, because it's all, it's so hard to hold it all in your brain. But I liked about the son, how he's, you know, in art school. So he's always using his girlfriend as his muse to to draw or whatever. But his drawings just get increasingly, every time they show one, it's sort of like a cityscape, but it's clearly just a vagina. And then they show another one, it's just like a dick and he's beaten off to it. And like It just really quickly escalates to like, this is not art anymore. This guy's just drawing weird porn. It's all he knows how to do is draw weird porn. <laughs> weird arty porn it's i shouldn't say it's not art it's uh, you know it's porny art it's, it's still it's art. porny art yep <laughs> it's it's horny and porny art 
<laughs> anyway, so we're getting a close up of Gwendolyn Christie's face specifically. We're really seeing a lot of nostril here. And then here we go. She looks up in terror because the dress is hovering at the very, uh, like right below the ceiling, right over her. You know, seemingly magically, because until now, we didn't know that the dress was alive. We knew something was wrong with it, but we didn't know it was alive. But yeah, so it plummets from the ceiling over her face tightly and tries to strangle her, tries to suffocate her. And then we see that it's like she's imagined it. She's just coughing and freaking out. And Vince is looking at her like she's crazy. Very very trippy. Yeah, and again, I guess that's the thing with this whole movie where it is, it's a little tough in some ways to to yeah, to talk about because it is weird. It's like, I, I think everything up to this point has been pretty real, as weird as it is, but now they're throwing in dream stuff and it's like, you definitely can't really get your footing. Yeah, you're like, what happened? What didn't happen? What's certain? What's reality? Hmm. I'm not sure because none of this fills on common ground. It's all like a bizarro world in some ways. You know, I was thinking too that uh, even just the fact that it's called In Fabric, I remember the uh, the comedian Patrice O'Neill had this old bit about how, you know, good movies have good titles. Like Jurassic Park is a good movie, but if it was the sci-fi direct-to-TV version, it would be called Dinosaur Forest. You know, so it's like <laughs> impressive that this movie's not called dress of the dead or the, the death dress you know in fabric is like that's how you know this guy he cared more than just let's just make a, a dumb movie about a, a killer dress yeah because i was listening to an interview with peter strickland and he said something to the effect that he had just been kind of mulling and dreaming this over and it kind of grew out of like him being fascinated with department store mannequins when he was a kid, going to the department stores in London with his mother. So this grew out of a weird childhood memory, essentially. And yeah, I wonder too, I imagine that must be something that's probably just a little bit different for the two genders, because generally uh, it's not that guys' clothes can't be on, on mannequins, but it's certainly not necessary. You know, for us, just a hanger is fine. Whereas even nowadays, when I go into the mall, it's funny how you can see through mannequins, like what style is, is, you know, cool now, where yeah. like mannequins nowadays are like, here's the yoga pants, look how big the butt is on this mannequin, where when I was a kid, the mannequins didn't look like that, you know, so I do think dudes just have a, a weird, probably like, you know, the movie mannequin and stuff, like, it's weird to see these super sexy fake people <laughs> especially when you're little it's just like what is going on this is weird yeah absolutely you know that's so interesting i haven't really thought about the evolution of department store mannequins but you're right they yeah, change really, with the times and they just have no functional purpose really for a guy <laughs> we just see them as like oh, that's this chick's hot but she's a mannequin like what am i thinking let's just, just keep walking <laughs> you know don't think about it or if it's like one of the male mannequins it's like oh man that's what I could look like in those shorts if I had six-pack abs. <laughs> yeah, that too. That's true. They need inclus size inclusivity for male mannequins. Where's that, America? Yeah, we need like a weird <laughs> skinny one with scoliosis. And I'd be like, yeah, I would look good with that t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we do, though. Like, legitimately. Okay, so anyway, let me get off of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, later on, like, I guess, like, a day or so later, Sheila and Zach are clearly, like, dating now, seeing each other. Um, they're going on a walk, and one of the neighbors, they're, like, in the English countryside, going on one of those walks where the the scenery looks like Jane Eyre. One of the neighbor's dogs, it's like a German shepherd, just comes up and starts attacking. The dog's not really trying to attack Sheila. The dog is trying to attack the dress. Because Sheila had... I wasn't really quite sure if Sheila, like, had the dress on under a coat. Or if it was just, like, in her bag or something. I wasn't clear on that at first. I guess it was in that bag, huh? Do you know? Yeah, I'm not totally sure either. But but I do... I did notice... Yeah, well, the whole animal attack was similar in some ways to the washing machine in the severity of it. Yeah. Where it just comes out of nowhere, like, so fast. Yeah, absolutely. And it's vicious. It rips the dress into shreds. And we see later on, she's like home and propped up. And her son hands her the bag and she flips. She's like, this dress should be in should be in shreds. The dog shredded it. I tell you it was in shreds. She's just like, what the fuck? How was it back together? But you're right. So sorry. <laughs> and so then later that night, she's lying in bed and she hears just, and it's the dress on the hanger going back and forth within her armoire. And then it has cuts in between of the department store clerk, like leaning her whole body down and just shaking her head up and down, like up down up down in this bizarre like ritualistic motion it feels very culty but it makes it it makes it seem like she is controlling the dress do you agree Mm. yeah i didn't really think of that at the time but yeah i agree okay so interesting she's freaked obviously she takes the dress out the next morning and it's like i'm taking this bitch back fuck this (laughs) so she goes back to the department store and the woman's like, no, you cannot return this. I won't take it back, you know? And she doesn't, she kind of gives her the runaround and doesn't really tell her why exactly she can't take it back. She's just like, no, I'm not taking it. And she's like, okay, you know what? I don't need to switch it out. I don't need my money back. Just fucking take it. And the woman still, the clerk, would still not take it. She's acting very odd, but we know that she did some weird ritual and shoved the picture of the dress up her hoo-ha, so we know that there's witchery afoot. (laughs) Bewildered, tries to leave the store, and I don't know if this guy owns the place or he's the manager or what, but this tall, spindly, odd-looking older man with these piercing, blue, like, bugged-out eyes looks over at her and was like, you know... It's not our policy for clothing to come back. We're trying, this is a sale. We're trying to get rid of product, essentially. That's why we don't want to take it back. But yeah, he I did like, I liked how, even though he's talking in his like weird, spooky way, he was kind of just laying some capitalism on her of just like, these are seasonal items. Once they've been reduced and sold, it is against their nature to come back. And you're like, yeah, you know, that's kind of true. Yeah, exactly. But he does say it so mystically. It's cool, but creepy as well. And she's like hella creeped out, especially when he asks her point blank, I hope Adonis, or he says to her point blank, I hope Adonis complimented you. 
talking about who she went on the date with in the dress. How the fuck does he know that? Is he um is he omnipotent like the fucking bank guys? Because it seems like her employers also know things they shouldn't know. It's very creepy. There's psychics in this world. Like what's going on? Very bad situation to be into in any any horror scenario where, you know, at first there's plausible deniability, but at this point she pretty much knows the dress is like an invincible evil force. And the guy who sold it to her seems to know who she's dating. And it's just like, you know, in a way, it's like you're kind of the walking dead at this point, right? Like, bad things are going to happen to you, lady, and I don't know what you can do about it. Yeah, she's like, fuck. I I don't know what. Okay, so, okay. <clears throat> she just come up with something. But I'm not sure what happens here. So she goes and asks her son, like, hey, do you have anything you need to take down to charity store? And he's like, yeah, maybe. And then she's like, well, then, you know, you take stuff Monday. But she still has the dress with her. And I don't know why it wasn't, like, left in the pile or why she didn't just drop it off somewhere herself. Shit, I might have tried to throw it away at this point. I don't know. Burn it? I don't know. (laughs) I'd be trying something. I wouldn't just acting rational after I more or less saw it move. Right? Yeah, well, I feel like this is where, I mean, maybe I would have made a more pedestrian version of this movie. But, yeah, I probably would have stuck with this character spoilers and uh yeah and done that kind of stuff just kind of delved more into like now what for like maybe she'd be more directly controlled by the dress i don't know i feel like my version would probably be really bad but uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm not sure what i would do to change things i'm just uh, yeah i just don't know i find some of her choices with the dress baffling but I also don't know how in control she is when she's around the dress either, though. Right? kind of like, though, it's one of those things like, I guess in a movie like this, it's probably better not to spell things out too much. But I don't yeah. know. I always just kind of like that. I like when they delve into, I don't know, just weird crap like in Day of the Dead where they take a zombie's like stomach out and just see how long it can live without eating flesh. And they realize that eating flesh doesn't help. They just do it compulsively, but they live the same amount of time. Like, I love weird, nerdy crap like that. But this is probably the wrong movie to, like, like figure out the specifics of exactly how the dress works. Yeah, it's definitely not the movie for that. The mysticism and mystery is part of its charm, for sure. So, she tells Vince, like, earlier, before she went to the store, before she was going to go to the store or whatever to drop it off, but never did. She tells them that she's staying the night with Zach, and that it is uh, more than just being mates. It's more serious than that. They're not just friends. And on her way, she sees a completely nude woman standing on the side of the road. And then you realize it's a mannequin, actually. But it didn't look like that at first. It looked like a human. And then she drives by and it looks like a mannequin. And she's kind of wigging out. And then she loses control of her car. And we see that the dress is like slipped down in the back seat and is out of the suitcase. And it starts after the, she goes after the car wreck. She does crash. She's I th- She gets like this slice of glass through her eye. And she's like barely alive panting and reaching out up towards the dress that is just floating in midair over the whole scene of the accident. And then she just dies. So yeah, like, this is the part where I'm kind of just uh, wildly theorizing about a movie I hardly know anything about that I just saw yesterday. But I did <laughs> notice I did notice it was uh, like super duper critically acclaimed, but a lot more tepidly received by 
general audiences. And I feel like this is kind of where I could see that happening because it's like, whoa, something exciting happened. But the other way you could look at this is we've just prematurely ended the story and now we're going to start a second movie within this first movie, which I do feel like is the kind of thing that just an average cinema goer is probably like, what? Like, this is probably where a lot of average Joes got lost. Because <laughs> I felt that way a little bit too. I'm like, what? We're just... It's just another story now. What the heck happened? Yeah, I imagine so. Your, you know, your average moviegoer doesn't watch indie, off the beaten path, weird movies like this, and the very concept and art direction and everything would just be alien to a lot of people. I could see why it got more of like a sixty-five percent and not the ninety-one percent that critics gave it. You know. And it is like it's an exciting, weird, unexpected thing when the main character just dies, you know, three quarters of the way through or whatever. But I used to think that when I was a younger, like, they should make a war movie where the guy just dies all of a sudden. No one would expect it. But then when that kind of thing really does happen in a movie, it's like, hmm, that's tough. That's tough to pull off, you know? It's true. But I mean, if you think about it, it it happens very famously in Psycho. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm hmm. Uh, it also happens very early on in the movie, but in Scream. Because when you watch just the first five or so minutes of Scream, you're led to believe that Drew Barrymore is going to be the main character. And because, she, especially because she was such a big star when Scream came out, you're like, there's no way they're going to kill her. And then, uh, boy, do they. <laughs> yeah, I wonder with In Fabric, because I was saying three quarters, but I'm thinking like, well, it wasn't three quarters, but it wasn't half. It was like three-fifths of the way through. Maybe that was part of this, too, is like, not only are we going to have this sudden unexpected thing happen, but we kind of got to have it happen at an unexpected point <laughs> to really make sure nobody sees it coming. Yeah, you don't really, you think maybe we're going to see more about her and Reg. Maybe something else creepy will happen, but no. She is dead. Body count two at this point, for sure. And it attacked Wendell and Christy. <laughs> So, now we join Reg Speaks. This guy is what my boyfriend would call a dial tone. <laughs> <laughs> a dial tone of a human, this poor guy. But he has friends um, who seem to... I wouldn't actually call them his friends. It seems more like they're like the worst friends ever, right? <laughs> no, yeah, totally. Like, they're just a bunch of, I don't know, toxic masculinity. Really leaning into the the stag tradition, which, okay, so in the U.S., you know, bachelorette, bachelor parties and bachelorette parties are uh, all about really showering that person with whatever they want to do. And, you know, the sky's the limit, right? But in the U.K., apparently, I mean, not everybody does this, but a stag is simultaneously honoring them and humiliating them right before they get married. Because here's where the dress comes in. One of his mates um, buys the dress. I guess the dress did eventually make its way to uh, <laughs> the charity store. I don't know if they just like donated it after they cleaned up the wreckage. Jesus, I don't know. Oh, that but was another... Very minor swerve, but yeah, there was another lady looking at the dress and the clerk is talking up the dress a bit 
But then that lady's like, I can't afford it. And then this other dude, Reg's stag friend, just comes in and buys it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's another just weird little swerve. Yeah, because the way the, the clerk is kind of like hypnotically, again, trying to sell it to her, telling her about, go on a cruise, can't you feel the breeze? And she's like, no, nah, I can't afford that. <laughs> just cuts it off. And then the woman's like, oh, well, if I can help you with anything else. That is like, a weird thing, too, a little strange about this movie is, uh, I think, I mean, it, it's a weird balance of scary stuff and cool stylistic stuff and goofy stuff. But I do feel like it kind of is amping up the comedy more than it's amping up the scary stuff at this point, which is a, a very weird feeling. Yeah, yeah. But it's also... Um... All this while, every time you see any time you know, someone buying something and going back to this department store and stuff, it's just really this odd satire of commercialism that's that's really interesting, uh, as well as parodying giallos and also sending up giallos. It's a, it's just a big old homage to a lot of things, and it's it's a very interesting collage of a film, if you will. But yeah, so where were we? Right, Reg. Yeah, so Reg's quote-unquote friends, yeah, they, whoops, spilled a beer on you, Reg, but don't worry, we got, we got other clothes for you, and they pulled out the dress. Yep, so he's like, I don't want to wear this, come on, and, but you know, he goes and puts it on, because he's a pushover, and he comes out, and mysteriously, even though it's it's like a size. This dress is. I looked up. The, I did. I looked up a size conversion. It's a size thirty six in European sizes, but uh, translate that to. I don't know what Canada does, but translate that to sizes in the U.S. and that's about a size four, which is a quite petite size. Uh, yeah, it's it's on the small side for sure. And I guess he does comment, like, I'll never fit in this thing. But I guess that's one of the minor magics of the dress is nobody seems to have too hard of a time fitting in this thing. You know what it is? It's the same magic as the jeans and the traveling, the um, sisterhood of the traveling pants. They can all (laughs) magically fit into that same pair of pants, even though they all have drastically different body types. (laughs) Um, So that's what's going on with this dress. It doesn't matter what size you are. It will fit you. It shows you it will fit you. So Reg is wearing it or whatever, and boy, his stag is not fun. They're like a resinum, and his like future father-in-law gives him a drunken, backhanded speech. <laughs> and uh, then we we pan out to see them later on, and he is violently puking in a back alley. Like they're all, some of them are puking, some of them are like trashing stuff they're all very drunk poor reg looks like he's gonna die he's barely hanging on and they drop him off at home and uh you know he takes the dress off and we see his fiance we meet his fiance and her name is babs and she is indeed um as his as her father put it a bit of a handful (laughs) mouthy opinionated um you know she definitely just tells reg what to do and because he's a pushover he does that's how their relationship works she likes to be bossy and he likes to be told what to do that's how they work they've apparently been together for 15 years so like since they were teenagers really long time so he is a we find out that he's a washing machine repairman 
and that he actually was the guy who repaired her washing machine. So this is actually not the first time he's come across the dress. Bum, bum, bum. So the lady who he's taught, who's uh washing machine he's fixing is like making chit chat and then she gets like very overtly sexual towards him she's like wait so you've been with this same woman your whole life you know no one else don't you want to see what's out there and he's like immediately just starts like hypnotically talking about what's wrong with the washing machine in great detail to like block her out yeah and it pretty much does like literally stun people right it it, like reminds me of in uh what we do in the shadows where one of the vampires is an energy vampire yes similar to that yeah where it's just this this guy only when he talks about uh fixing washing machines but yeah it just like stuns people like literally Oh my god, you're right. He's a total Colin Robinson. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a that's a good catch. He's a Colin Robinson. Energy vampire extraordinaire. Reg, you know, shakes this woman off. And then later on we see his fiance try on the dress. Reg's fiance, Babs, has tried on the dress. And she's like, look how good it makes me. Like, look how good I look in it. Blah blah blah. And um she goes to the department store to find something to wear and we also i don't know when this happens exactly that we notice that she has that same rash it's marked her but uh we do at some point see that but anyway (laughs) i do wonder if if the guy who made this movie maybe he does have like a little diary he wrote like of the actual rules of uh of how this thing works because it makes me think of like when uh Donnie Darko first came out and it was like cool and weird but it didn't really make sense and then with the director's cut and like uh, director's commentary and stuff you kind of figure out that the guy who directed it he did understand how everything worked he just didn't have enough money and he had to make weird edits (laughs) and it made the movie in a cool way make no sense but underneath he did know how it was all working I wonder if this guy's similar like maybe he could tell you he probably never would (laughs) but maybe he could actually tell you like what the rash means and how this stuff works okay um in the interview that i heard i don't feel like they brought that up but i would love to know maybe i can get in touch with peter strickland (laughs) yeah like one of those things if you ever got to talk to him over a drink or something he could and he'd just be like look don't tell anybody because then you know it's no fun if everybody knows but and i mean maybe he doesn't but maybe he does who knows well, that makes me think of the episode of curb your enthusiasm where alanis morissette tells larry david who the song you ought to know is really about (laughs) which is something she infamously never told anyone babs goes to the department store in the dress and basically the second she walks in the weird mrs luckmore is her name by the way the weird lady with the wig that works there that we've been seeing a lot of she walks over and immediately is like you can't be here you can't shop here but babs is a karen (laughs) <laughs> to the max and uh immediately it's like i know what i can do i've worked in retail uh you know blah 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 you can't treat me like this <laughs> starts fighting with her but the woman just keeps saying you know 
things to her. It tells her that she looks shabby in the dress and that the dress doesn't look good, even though we know damn well it looks fabulous on everyone. Yeah, I was going to say, too, this is one of these things that also might make me an artless heathen, but there is a lot of stuff, I mean, especially in this back half, that uh, that I was thinking, like, you know, if I had to, if uh, the studio at Knife Point was like, cut 20 minutes out of this movie, I bet I could. <laughs> I bet I could find, because there's just stuff that I'm like, hmm, not really sure... You know, what the heck's going on at this point? Yeah, it runs a bit long. You could trim some fat for sure. But I think some of the weird scenes that we see kind of contribute to the magic. So you just got to go along with the director's vision, even if some of it seems like maybe not super necessary. It's all part of the weird magic, baby. So what more also tells Babs, like, hey, we're closing soon. Like, it's, you know, get out of here. But the boss, the weird guy that earlier knew about Adonis... Uh, when talking to Sheila, he tells, he convinces Mrs. Lookmore to let her stay for some mysterious reason. And then we see that Reg is hypnotized at home by the department store's TV advertisement. And then we notice that he has died from carbon monoxide poisoning. There's like a shot of the boiler and that the monoxide levels are high and he's just entranced by that. So body count three, even if that one was not super clear. That's one thing too. One thing that has been happening throughout as well that uh, I assume again is probably a direct homage to, to like original Jalo films, but there will be like these transitionary parts where the music gets much louder and a lot of kind of still images that kind of cut through different weird visuals and they all are really cool like i figure i feel like you could just take all those parts and make a music video out of them and it would it would look awesome totally and that is definitely something that happens in giallo's a lot so he knows what he's doing peter strickland i think (laughs) because that is like again like with the scene with uh, poor old reg it's like again I, i don't quite know what it is the uh, the meaning or whatever, but I do remember is that the transition to get to him on the couch and then get off him on the couch both looked cool. <laughs> yeah. They did. Th- that seems that's bleh. if you don't realize that he's died, that scene seems absolutely pointless. But he is dead, and that's the whole reason we're seeing him at that point. Unfortunately, Reg just bit the dust. Meanwhile. They're basically telling everyone that they need to go home at the department store. Like, they're like, you know, we're we're closing, please. It literally is her voice, the, the clerk, in that East European accent, like, saying, please. And instead of just being like, please leave or, you know, or exit quietly or whatever, it's like, please return to your houses. That was funny. I did like that line. Yeah. <laughs> so... Babs is talking to Luckmore and very much reminiscent of earlier when Sheila was talking to her bosses. She talks about how she had this very disturbing dream. And we also see this happen to Reg before he dies, where he's talking, he's going to get a bank loan at some point. And he's literally talking to Sheila's bosses. Uh, and they ask him really bizarre questions for someone who's trying to get a loan. In fact, going into dream talk again, a lot of dream talk. But he describes this weird dream where he dreams that Babs is pregnant and she's giving birth. And he's on the he's not allowed in the room for some reason. And he's on the other side of the glass screaming in, like, solidarity. <laughs> and that just annoys her while she's in there. 
And then the baby pops out, and the baby is fully in a little miniature dress, like the dress. And then the baby is sentient enough at this point to give her father, Reg, two middle fingers, (laughs) solidifying her thoughts on him, according to him. And then, you know, that's just him describing the dream. And that's another really wacky thing that's not super important to the plot that's in the film, but it happens. But anyway, Babs describes to Mrs. uh, Lockmore a similar dream where she's like, I came here and I was looking through the store catalog, but as I was looking through the store catalog, every page I got thinner and thinner and I was every model in the catalog and then eventually I was just bones. And it's a kind of creepy foreshadowing. Actually. Yeah, and she was saying, like, yeah, like how uh, not only was she getting thinner in the catalog, but the supposed size of the dress she was wearing kept getting bigger. And that's another, just one of these weird little seeds of a thing that I feel like that's something you could expand on. Like you could sort of steal that idea. There's something just really neat about. I don't know what sequential horror happening inside a catalog. (laughs) I don't know. It's just such a throwaway thing in this movie, but I feel like you could make a whole movie about that. You know what? Um, There's actually an episode of, are you afraid of the dark from the nineties that sort of goes into something similar to this. She's like an art student and she, the actress um, or her character or whatever, is able to go into a painting one day that she had been working on. And it had been painted with these, like, I don't know if they're cursed, but they're definitely sparked by magic paintbrushes, kind of. And she gets trapped in there. It's like the woman who has her mentors, like, trying to steal her youth or something. I haven't seen this episode since I was a kid, but that's how I recall it. Isn't it cool that there's just all these little things, like, that you can just for lack of a better term, you could just steal these ideas and, like, make new stuff out of them. That's true, yeah. Like, I was watching random Twilight Zones once, and there's this episode no one ever talks about. It's not famous at all, but it's about the American Civil War, and the South knows they're going to lose, and a guy in the Southern Army finds, like, a Necronomicon, and he uses it to freeze a whole town full of Yankees, and he's like, holy crap, we could use this magic to win. But then he realizes he'd be summoning Satan and he isn't willing to do it. But I was thinking, like, you can make a movie about that. But what if he really did do it? What if the South won because they summoned, like, dragons and demons and stuff? <laughs> like, that would be the most crazy movie in the world. I would love that. That would be that would be absolutely insane. And I will say that before we finish, just to finish this tangent off, that Spike Lee, I think, produced a film that basically is what if the Confederacy won? Right. And uh, it's done in like a documentary, like a mockumentary style. It's it's interesting. You can look it up. But it's got like super racist commercials in it, too, because <laughs> it's like the Confederacy one. But yeah, that uh, would be, that'd be the toughest part if I was ever to somehow make my they use dragons to win is trying to convince everybody like, look, man, I'm from Canada. I'm not, this is not a political statement. I just think it would be cool to see dragons and demons in the civil war. <laughs> you know? Right. Okay. So as Babs goes into the fitting room and, you know, she's like bitching, trying to, you know, get a dress, pick a dress before it closes. And, uh, the store starts breaking. There's like a pandemonium. There's like fights between patrons 
And you're led to believe that this is all because the dress is there. And then people start looting, and the dress literally catches fire. And the flames spread all around the store very quickly. We see Babs burn to death in her changing room. And we see Mrs. Luckmore duck and roll into a dumb waiter with part of a dismembered mannequin for some reason. And then it just, she goes deep and deep within the store. And we see the model that was supposedly dead sewing away at what looks like another one of these dresses. We also see Sheila doing the same thing and Reg and Babs. And it also appears that these dresses are being sewn of their blood. Like the magic is in their death somehow. It's very creepy. And then we see firemen just like walking through the rubble. And then roll credits. Oh, and he does see the dress on the ground. Yeah, so he does. He, he does, of course, see the dress on the ground. It will live on. That was clearly like lots of people that the dress just killed. Pretty much anyone who didn't get out of the department store, but definitely Babs. And I, I'm i assuming that the creepy department store people got out. Because they seem to have some power over the dress. Especially the one woman. Mrs. Yeah, Locke. it seems like maybe they're, I don't know, like druids of the dress or something. I was thinking of uh, something that like movie. that. That movie Bed of the Dead that we watched where it started with uh, way back in like Viking days that they cut down this mystic tree and that's the tree that ended up being the wood that made the the mystical bed. I was thinking like if they tried to do something similar here, uh, it wouldn't it would be weird, right? Because how far back could you possibly go? Like you couldn't really go back further than like maybe I don't know how far back could you go for this dress to even be in style like the 20s? It looks it looks like (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, it looked looked like a 70s style dress to me. Yeah, so if they had showed somehow, because it's kind of cool to see everybody connected up and their life blood is sewing into the dress. Mm -hmm. You know, that's some kind of little little view into what's going on with the dress's power. But I guess you can never really show the origin of the dress because it it couldn't have been that long ago, you know? No, it couldn't have. And I, I mean, at first you kind of think... You're not sure what started it, but like maybe the curse started with the model. But now, but you know, when you see this scene, you're like, there's no telling how long this has been going, you know? But it, you're right. It couldn't have been that long ago unless this isn't the first dress. <laughs> Just that would be like, I don't know why I did this to myself, but I decided to watch the Purge movies last month. And, uh, and they get to like the first purge, you know, and like you imagine if they did that, they made like five of these movies. So they go like the first in fabric dress. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or like there was Wolverine origin or they just did um, orphan first kill. <laughs> yeah, so. this would be I mean, obviously they do that all the time with like, you know, weird, terrible sequels made by different people. But this would be such a weird movie to just have someone else take over and like, let's just make a franchise and run this into the ground. This would be such a bizarre franchise. (laughs) But I feel like all the magic would go away if you tried to describe it any further at all. You know what I was actually thinking as you were, you know, recounting this movie and it's uh, the images are flowing through my head is when I lived in Toronto, I had a roommate also named Keith who was like a cool bartender and he would always uh, project movies on the wall of his cool bar in downtown Toronto. And this would be a perfect movie for that, just to just have it playing on the background. So hipsters could look up once in a while and be like, I don't know what's happening, but that looks cool. 
Totally. This is totally a trippy hipster bar movie. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Keith, let's get into the superlatives, shall we? Yes. So I, I did, since there's not a ton of uh, of kills in this movie, I kind of just switched it to best and worst attack. But uh, I, I don't actually I'm have a... I'm glad that you immediately went to that, because that's that's exactly what I would have told you to do. And uh, and I don't actually have a worst, but for best, I've got the washing machine just because it was the first big shock in the movie. And uh, and I just loved how the, the washing machine was going so nuts. But just the the depth of how deep and how bloody the cut was on, on Sheila's hand, it just really does come out of nowhere. So for shock value, that was the peak for me of just like, what the heck? <laughs> that really, yeah, I just really didn't expect that. So that was my favorite attack. Okay. My, what I have for the best um, is the Gwendolyn Christie one, because it also really takes you aback when, you know, she's just like orgasming or whatever, and you look up and then there's the dress hovering right at the edge of the ceiling. And then it just drops, like I said, and uh, the way it immediately like hugs and tries to suffocate her. It's a really cool looking scene and it didn't look overly CGI, but I mean, there had to have been CGI for that. And I don't know, I thought it was just a really cool sequence. Yeah, and I think that's also why I uh, was feeling like the second half of the movie was more the comedy half because the first half did have both those and the dog attack. Like everything is a lot, and the the car crash, so. Yeah, yeah, Sheila's side was a lot more brutal. Yeah. Um, what I have for worst is we find out after the dog attack, we find out oh, that they put... Yeah. yeah, of course you do. <laughs> they put the dog down. They, they murdered the dog on her behalf. That's more or less what her bosses tell her. Yeah, that is awful. Although there is a pretty good line in it where they're just like, I've also, uh, it's, uh, I have it on good authority that they took great pleasure in denying it its final treat. It did. I know. They said <laughs> that that line is hilarious, but it's also like, oh, that poor dog. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Who do you have for best character? So actually, because, uh, I don't know where this even happened in the movie at some point in there, but I've got for best character, it ties into my most what the fuck moment is one of the scenes where they cut back to just the goings on at the store. I guess it was similar to with the uh, using the uh, the catalog as a tampon. There was a another scene at some point where the, the women who worked there were like wiping down a mannequin and the guy who owned oh, the yeah. store. I decided he's my favorite character because he's watching them from, I guess, the next room or from somewhere, and he's just masturbating. And the, it's weird on the face of it, and that part in particular, the music is so good. So I'm like, man, I love the music of this, but what in the hell am I watching right now? Like, what is happening? That's true. There's a lot of weird sexual stuff going on in that department store. So, I mean, he probably doesn't deserve the owner of the store. probably doesn't deserve to be best character just for that. But I just love that scene. It was just like, what the heck is this? But even the fact that it didn't come up during the summaries, because, yeah, because who cares? But it was still awesome. It's true. It's just a throwaway scene that's not super important to the plot. But it is super bizarre. Like, what the hell's going on there? 
That's where, too, the style of uh, that scene in particular made me think of this. But I guess the movie in general, you know, that band Ghost? Yes. So uh, I've never listened to them a ton. Some of my friends are way into them, but I just always thought they're kind of weird because they're like really soft, satanic rock. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like they must be drawing from similar uh, influences from this movie because there are parts, and especially that part where the owner is just masturbating to the mannequin. that I'm like, this just feels like a ghost video. It feels exactly the same. <laughs> I totally see what you're talking about there. You know what? I believe they're going to be in town, like in my area, um, pretty soon, actually. Yeah, my uh, one of my friends in Toronto, he just loves them. He's gone to see them a bunch of times. And it's just one of those weird things where it's like, yeah, I don't dislike them, but... I just, I don't, I don't get it, but maybe I'll get it more as I delve into (laughs) weird seventies era. Cause that's totally what it feels like. It's like the satanic version of the carpenters or something. It's just weird. It's a very, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's an interesting way to describe it. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, what do you have for worst character? So for worst, I went with uh, Reg's fiance Babs, and just because uh, it made me think of, and again, maybe this is just such an archetype in England, maybe this, there just are a million people like that, but it's not necessarily her so much, but it made me think of, there was this show called Misfits about these British kids who get yes! superpowers. And I remember, I love that show so much, but as the show went on, they kept introducing new characters, and you start to realize that the guy who wrote it clearly wasn't that good at writing female characters because mm-hmm. they kept being just different variations on on Babs. Like their whole character was, every time someone looks at them, they go, whoa, <laughs> what you looking at? And it's like, oh, yeah. it's like every single woman in England like that? I can't imagine they are. So every time I see a character like that, it feels lazy to me. But maybe I'll go to England someday and be like, holy crap, they're everywhere. There's a name for that stereotype, like chaff or something, I think. Oh, yeah, right, but it's just sort of like lower... Yeah, see, that's what's different, too, is like just there's class distinctions, I guess, just based on even like accents and stuff that we kind of don't have here. Yeah, not really. Hmm, that's interesting. It's more like geographical in the United States because we're so big. Yeah, I guess the closest thing is I've heard people say like if they have like a a strong southern accent they try to neutralize it if they want to be brain surgeons because people just don't trust a brain surgeon with a southern accent you know just unfair stuff like that but that's it's, fair but it's Having... weird in england because yeah you go 20 miles and it's a different accent uh, so um let's see what do you have for what the most um yeah most with the fuck moment uh so let's see what did i do? oh uh okay wait, wait, wait okay so i guess uh so let's see we did best worst what the fuck so i guess funniest is the last one right <laughs> so this one i'm going to describe this i'm going to try not to get too graphic about this because this is a weird reason that i think this is the funniest but reg's but, dream of, wait sorry? but i asked you what was your what what was your most what the fuck moment Oh, sorry. Okay, so yeah, well, it was the old man <laughs> masturbating. I kind of tied it into why he's, oh, okay. he's my best character because of that. Gotcha. Yeah, sorry, I didn't okay. need to jump ahead. Uh, did you say, too, what's your worst character? Do you have one? Oh, that's a good point. Um, worst character for me is a group of people, and it's Reg's friends. They're all the oh, worst. <laughs> that's actually probably a better answer, yeah, because even those guys, even just the way they're doing, they're like, oh, Reg, he's a good old son, and, you know, he's he's off, whatever. And I just remember thinking, like, God, if I was him right there, I'd just be like, God, I can't wait to go home. <laughs> I hate these people. Right, because they also, like, basically kidnapped him. Because he was <laughs> having a quiet, solitary dinner to himself in the bar. And then they, like, 
came in and were like, ah, and started yelling at him and making him drink, and you know what I mean? They kidnapped, they hijacked his evening. Yeah, okay, so funny spoon then. Uh, so for this one, this was, uh, it's like a weird thing where, uh, so Reg's dream about his fiance giving birth, and in this case, you know, the baby is obviously just meant to be like a little doll. It's not at all supposed to look like a real baby. But the reason why that kind of cracked me up, it's not even because of this movie. It's because of a, a Serbian film. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Right. So I'm not, I'm not going to get into details, but it's one of those, you know, infamous movies. You always hear about how awful it is. So I feel like if you just saw it out of nowhere, it would probably freak you out pretty bad. But when you've heard how awful it is for a few years and then you watch it, it's more like, really, this is like this movie's kind of silly. Like, this is kind of ridiculous. And there's a part where a lady gives birth and just immediately they do horror movie stuff to the baby. But the baby's not much better looking than this baby. And I just kept thinking about Guar. Like, this looks like oh, a yeah. Guar video. Like, this is not scary. This is dumb. So when I saw saw the little doll baby, it just made me think of Guar and of Serbian film. And it's just like, man, I love dumb little babies in movies <laughs> that don't look at all real. <laughs> like, if they looked real, it'd be awful. But because they don't, it's just funny. That's a great point. Um, it's weird. I was actually, I actually just, I, you know, that's not one of those things that you see every day, something that refers to a Serbian film or reminds you of a Serbian film. But literally right, right before I started recording with you, I was just like looking through my phone um, before I looked for my headphones. And, and I saw a meme that references a Serbian film and... That's just synchronicity, man. It's just weird. But yeah, no, um, I do not recommend going to watch a Serbian film. There are moments that are absolutely like ridiculous and outlandish, and it is just kind of silly, even though it's made to be offensive. Like it I, literally I imagine it's one of those things like if you were trapped in a movie theater and it's on the big screen and you can't stop it, it's probably much worse that way. Where when you just watch it on your laptop and you've heard for years about it. That's way more just like, you know, it takes a lot of the sting out of it. But I still also, I do not recommend it either. <laughs> it's like nuts to that yeah. movie. So I just happened, the way I saw Serbian film was not in the way that you saw Serbian film. <laughs> See, I just happened to be, I knew it was going to be extreme. But I didn't know how extreme. Because I saw it like not too terribly long after it came out. I saw a pirated version at like at a friend's house. And this was when me and that particular friend and the guy I was dating at that time were all going down um, just a list of infamous movies. We were watching just a lot of extreme film at the time. And the night before, we had watched The Men Behind the Sun. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's about... It's about the Japanese sector or whatever that was doing, like, Nazi-level experimentation on humans. Oh, I didn't know there even was a movie about that, but I have heard about some of that stuff. It's not pleasant. No, there is a movie, and it is very gory. <laughs> so we watched that one night, and then the very next night we watched a Serbian film. And none of us knew anything about it except that it was brutal. So... I had no idea what I was going to see. That's the baby scene really threw me for a loop. Like, oh, there's no, uh, no one's safe. Literally no one's safe. Nothing is sacred in this film. Yeah, and I do think conceptually, 
not only is it probably the worst scene in that movie, it, I mean, it might be the worst scene in any movie. It's insane. But uh, but then at the same time, I was like, ah, look at that little fake looking baby. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look real at all. So there's, I mean, if that makes you feel any better. Apparently, too. I mean, it's kind of a neat story behind that movie. I don't know the super specifics, but I guess just Serbia at the time just had all kinds of really bland government funded sort of borderline propaganda. Like all their movies were just boring as hell. So these guys just went way too freaking far. But if you look at it from that perspective, it's like an interesting, like, middle finger. But it's yeah. a pretty shit movie. <laughs> yeah, I did know at the time that it was like a weird political statement from the filmmakers, which did add a little bit of a layer, but it still was like, oh, this is this is deplorable. W- what am I watching? Why am I watching this? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I still watching this? That part is really funny. I, I did laugh. Also, when Sheila's in his room, um, her son's room, looking at his, like, drawings of, like, vaginas and whatnot that weren't subtle at all. Uh, that that part made me laugh as well. Um, well. That was a part, too, that was kind of uh, depressing in a way that maybe hits guys especially, is that, uh, you know, the son was, like, masturbating to his own weird art when the call comes in that his mom has died in a crash but he deliberately doesn't answer the phone because he's like i'm just I'm jerking off leave me alone and it's like one of those horrible moments that you think as a as a dude like uh that could i could be that guy i could see not answering the phone call <laughs> if it came at the wrong Yo, time you'd could... feel bad for the rest of your life oh my god you'd never be able to <laughs> to happily masturbate ever again <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you probably would get over it, but you'd probably think about your mom, your dead mom, every time. That's depressing. And I didn't think about that until you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, I sort of forgot about it till just now. But yeah, there's like, that's where it's like interesting, too, with with, uh, you know, movies that are kind of open ended like this is, you know, I do feel like maybe this guy threw in some little seeds of there's probably stuff that I just wouldn't get because the whole world of shopping for dresses and even sizes. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I'm just a stick man. But, but then on the other hand, there's this other side of things that it's like, oh yeah, that hits home in a weird way. And yet this whole movie was conceived at, by a dude. Peter Strickland wrote and directed it. This was all his like bizarre brain child. Obviously he had help make you come to fruition. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because if you didn't know that he directed it, you might not know what gender not that it matters but yeah you know that's true for sure it definitely is a like an agendery movie it certainly doesn't yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't guess a guy but you wouldn't yeah you wouldn't i don't know you can't guess much <laughs> it's a very mysterious film yeah it's like did an alien write this like <laughs> what's happening here like everything feels off it's very interesting it's like it feels like an alternate reality almost because of how i don't know trance like everything is it's it's honestly guys i know you just listened to this whole episode (laughs) but obviously go watch this because i couldn't fit every weird thing that happens in it in and still like get this all under a certain time frame and you know it's a visually gorgeous film and like keith was saying the soundtrack is great um so go just listen to you know the sound design and drink this whole experience and if you live somewhere where weed is legal 
Like, I'm I'm gonna just endorse that. Watching it high is better than watching it super. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely do think this is the kind of movie. Even if you did listen to this and haven't seen it, uh, I, I mean, it's one of these movies where spoilers just really don't matter. That's really not. That's really not the point of the ride. And yeah, it's you just not. <laughs> and you yeah, you really can't soak in the weird feeling that it gives you without without watching it. Yeah, so you know, like, go find a copy, go turn turn the lights down, get a pol- a bowl of popcorn, and just like buckle up. <laughs> it's gonna be a weird ride. Uh, all right, everybody. So I'm not sure what we're doing next. I'm sure I'll figure it out within the next couple of weeks. Um, but we'll see you next time for. Whatever comes my way next, I guess. Uh, Keith, quickly, if you'll just, you know, plug you, plug yourself. <laughs> sure. Uh, if you just go to keithcourage.com, there's just all kinds of links to different weird little podcasts and crap. And uh, yeah, just poke around there. And thank you very much. Absolutely. Um, all right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Stay creepy. Attack of the Killer Objects is edited, written, and produced by Anastasia Bird. That would be me. AOTKO theme was created by me as well with free use music and clips from the following films. Killer Sofa, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes, and Rubber. The outro music is They Come at Night by Shane Ivers, courtesy of SilvermanSound.com. Our website is linktree forward slash attack of the killer objects there you can find descriptions of all of our episodes as well as our merch store we have apparel and accessories for all ages check it out and if you enjoyed today's show be sure to leave us a five-star review in the podcast app of your choice until next time